There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. In this episode I explore the troubling history of safety at sea. And we start by going back in time 200 years. In the 18th century seafaring was a very dangerous business indeed. Not only were navigation and safety systems limited... But unscrupulous owners of merchant ships would deliberately send ships to sea overladen, but with enormous insurance raised on the vessel. These became known as coffin ships. To make matters worse, sailors who had signed up for a voyage, but then refused to sail in such vessels, could be sent to prison. Appalled with such public flouting of responsibility, one man took it upon himself to reform the entire question of safety at sea, taking on the entire maritime establishment in doing so. Samuel Plimsoll eventually succeeded, but only after numerous knockbacks from politicians in the grip of maritime merchant interest. His solution to the problem, the Plimsoll line, being a safe load line marked on the hull of a ship changed seafaring forever and also marked a significant moment in popular democracy when the will of the British public, in this case for the protection of their mariners, was heard. To find out more, I spoke with the excellent Nicolette Jones, author of the multiple award-winning book The Plimsoll Sensation, The Great Campaign to Save Lives at Sea. Here is Nicolette. Nicolette, tell me about why life was dangerous at sea? Why life was dangerous at sea? Um, uh, well, in uh, 1871, a Board of Trade report um, revealed that 856 ships had gone down within 10 miles of the British coast in conditions that were no worse than a strong breeze. Um, mm. What we know is that the reasons for this were several. Uh, one was overloading, um, hence the idea of Plimsoll's load line. Um, the other was that ships were sent to sea in poor condition. They weren't inspected before they went to sea. And um, they could be, there was insur- insurance scam, allegedly, that uh, people could insure a ship for a great deal of money 
Um, and in fact, it was more or less a floating wreck that had been renamed and repainted if it had already been in trouble at sea. Um, and uh, uh, then the owners could claim a great deal of money. They could even lie about what the cargo was um, and pretend it was something more valuable than it in fact had been. Um, and uh, so everybody profited when a ship went down except the sailors who died. And there was, uh, at the time, the estimate was about 500 lives a year being lost that could have been saved. Um, so Plimsoll, uh, Samuel Plimsoll arrived on the scene, um, scandalised by the state of the shipping industry. It sounds to me that, I mean, I'm always astonished by this, with coming from a maritime country, that the place was, was run by a bunch of crooks. Well, of course, there were people who believed that Samuel Plimsoll um, exaggerated the uh, the abuses of the shipping industry. Uh, and of course, they were honourable ship owners. But uh, there's always the temptation when you increase the profits, if you increase the risk. And if the people who are taking the risk are not the people who get the profits, we know this in other walks of life, that the tendency is always to increase the risk, to think, well, if we just loaded a bit more cargo, we'd make twice as much money. Um, and therefore, we're going to do that. And last time it was all right. You know, this time the sea, the sea conditions are stormier and the ship goes down. Uh, there, was, mm. there were also other considerations like the fact that once you'd signed up for a uh, a ship if you then decide look took a look at it and decided it wasn't seaworthy you could spend three months in prison for breach of contract so there were a lot of sailors who decided to go to prison instead of going to sea in ships that they saw there's one case where several sailors were imprisoned uh the ship sailed and went down in the bay of biscay and three sailors were drowned there was another ship in which a bunch of um, several crews chose prison rather than sail it. And eventually the owners scrabbled around and got a crew that were entirely boys under the age of 17. And when the ship sailed, they all died. Uh, it went down. So um, so there were all kinds of issues for those that fell foul of this, that they were they were afraid to lose the livelihood for their families if they didn't... It didn't mm didn't go to sea they ended up in prison instead um so yeah it was and there were some cases that were reported where uh the the ships were so deep in the water one woman reported say, saying goodbye to her husband on a ship and she said she then stepped up to the rowing boat that laid <laughs> alongside from the deck of the ship this is a oh, you no. know transatlantic or <laughs> yeah. ship um uh you know Think ships that were in the open sea were travelling like canal boats that deep in the water. Yeah, it's a it's such a powerful story because it kind of it generates generates a real self of um, sorry it generates a real sense of indignation when you hear it. You like it, it's, seafaring was so dangerous anyway because of the navigational problems because of the technology. Yes, but then you find out that people were were deliberately sending unseaworthy ships to sea. And one of the reasons I like about this story is it kind of forms a bridge between the present and the past. You get a sense of just how cross or kind of unbelievable um, this whole situation was and how cross um, Plimsoll got about it. So let's hear a little about Samuel Plimsoll, the man who, who decided to wage a war against this malpractice. Yes, well, he um, was not a nautical man. In fact, his detractors uh, made fun of the fact that he'd never been to sea and he didn't really know anything about shipping, they argued. Uh, they they um, 
spoofs of his speeches made him refer to the sink port of Newport Pagnell and um, <laughs> uh, put sort of fake uh, nautical terms in his mouth like a vast heaving <laughs> as if he was somebody who was constantly making up his connection. He was MP for a landbound land constituency for Derby. Um, so it was fair enough to say that he didn't have a great deal of experience of this. He was originally a coal merchant. That's how he made his fortune. Um, and uh, but he, he, for complicated reasons, he'd, be, he'd been known as the miner's friend before he became known as the sailor's friend. He was very involved in fundraising for uh, mining catastrophes and to help the widows of, of miners who died in pit disasters. Um, but uh, there was conflict with trade unions in the pit that his father-in-law owned. And it became complicated for him to be very involved on the side of the miners. And I think he was looking for another cause when the ship, shipping cause came to his attention. He met a man called James Hall, who was a ship owner in Newcastle, um, who was trying to promote the idea of a load line. And Plimsoll said, I'll take that cause into the House of Commons for you. Um, he claimed later that he and his wife Eliza had a sort of revelation on the beach at Redcar when he came through a storm which um, in which four other ships went down. And uh, he um, and Eliza apparently on the beach when dedicated the rest of their lives to the safety of the sailor because the ships that had sunk had been ships that were merchant ships uninspected by authorities, whereas his ship was a passenger ship and those had to be properly examined. So this was about cargo ships. This is about merchant ships particularly. It's interesting you say that he uh, had a kind of revelation. Um, I do get a strong sense of religious fervour coming through with Plimsoll. Is that is it fair to say that he was he was a, a very religious man and um, you know he was uh, there was there was quite a lot of hymn singing going along as well as saving uh, sailors lives? Yes he was indeed. He was a congregationalist which is a dissenting branch of Christianity, uh, in which uh, which believed very strongly in individual responsibility and good works. Um, he came from a family where they would invite the poor in off the street to dine. So he, his religious fervour, which, as you say, was very strong, was very much based around the fact that you had to act to, um, uh, to help other people. And so, uh, yes, he was very much motivated by religion. He quoted... Uh, religious motives in his speeches, um, but it was uh, it was about social justice, sort of in the in the vocabulary, if you like, of the Victorian era, in which that was always couched in Christian responsibility. Um, but because he was a Congregationalist, he was also in some ways a rebel because this was an unconventional branch of religion, um, and so it was possible to be both very pious and also to be rather um, well literally non-conformist to be to be somebody who was was um uh, setting himself against the status quo and the authorities the current authorities mm. uh, the mention of his wife eliza is interesting as well because i mean so many people focus on plimsoll and what he did but that she was a very powerful lady behind him wasn't she she i think the plimsoll line should be regarded as um a commemoration of both samuel and eliza his first wife who was uh, really the driving force behind all this. It was it was Eliza who said, go and talk to James Hall about his load line. Um, it was Eliza who made all kinds of sacrifices and helped promote the cause. And it was in some ways a moderating influence on 
Plimsoll, who was a rather impassioned man, and I think she was quite level-headed by comparison and organised. Um, so, yes, Eliza Plimsoll was um, uh, the, the, the mine owner's stepdaughter, uh, was, you know, powerfully responsible for all the important decisions in his life, really. Um, so, yes, I think, uh, I think it's, it's, it's her commemoration as much as his. She was recognised by sailors in several ports, but every time they presented her with some uh, token of their esteem, um, Plimsoll would make a speech on her behalf. She was never... It wasn't the thing, I suppose, for women to speak for themselves. So we know what Eliza thought only as reported by her husband. <laughs> ah, uh, but um, yes... Uh, it's interesting to be aware of that, though, isn't it? And, and being able to uh, actually piece it together and, and wonder whether you get a true uh, true reflection of what she actually thought or whether he was tweaking things as he went along. Well, when she died, she, she got very uh, enthusiastic uh, obituaries of her own in which people talked about how dedicated she was to the cause and how important she had been. And, and of course, she had a very significant role at the point when... Um, we're jumping ahead a bit here, but Disraeli's government finally postponed Plimsoll's merchant shipping legislation once too often after many years of campaigning. And uh, Plimsoll lost his temper in the House of Commons, called everybody cheats and uh, murderers. And Eliza, in the ladies' gallery, anticipating the fact that this might be delayed again, had a protest that she scattered on the onto the press gallery, which was immediately below the ladies' gallery. And so it was front-page news over on all the newspapers the following day. And that gave rise to a, an agitation nationally that led, in effect, to Disraeli being forced to introduce a merchant shipping bill. Um, but if, if Eliza hadn't been there, uh, strategically dropping the, the flyers onto the, onto the journalists, um, it might never have quite gone the same way. Yeah. The mention of politics is interesting because the, there's a big underlying theme here of the power of the people versus this, the power of the politicians. Um, and I think one of the remarkable stories about this is you've got, you've got Plimsoll banging on about it, saying that this is unfair, you're all murderers. And then the politicians doing their best to obstruct, well, some, most of the politicians doing their best to obstruct legislation, yes. which is clearly in everyone's best interest. How did you uh, find yes. that? dealing with that issue. Isn't it odd, really, how uh, we, we know this throughout history, that there are quite a lot of bits of legislation that are obviously in, in everybody's interest, that there's a great deal of, of resistance to. Um, you know, people didn't like seatbelts when they came in. They didn't want to stop sending uh, chimney sweep, small children up chimneys. Um, the things that we think, how did anybody resist that? Uh, you know, history may say... How did anybody resist the idea of wearing masks in shops during a pandemic? Um, you know, there are things that we do that are for the general good. And nevertheless, there's always people who don't like it. Um, I think what the politicians objected to at the time, they were, they were and the ship owners, and they were often the same people. A lot of politicians owned ships. That was one of the issues. Um, but one of the things they objected to was just red tape. They didn't like the idea that, there was government interference in anything they did, and of course that's that's similarly something we hear when people introduce when government introduces uh, legislation, a kind of nanny state that people don't want to be told what to do in their own interests. 
Um, but the other thing was uh, was all about foreign competition, that they felt that if they weren't allowed to load up to a certain point, then f foreign ships would be taking over the business because they could transport more. Uh, again, something that we hear, you know, when people say in sweatshops, well, we have to pay people as little as this because uh, otherwise we won't be competitive. So the, the issues are extraordinarily timeless, I found. Um, but but yes, this is very much a story of the machinations in the corridors of power, um, of uh, Plimsoll taking on Disraeli, of originally Gladstone, and then after a change of government, Disraeli, um, though he was a Liberal MP himself, um, and uh, and politicians with vested interests taking the other side. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mm. And so what actually happened? I mean, his, his proposals were blocked several times, weren't they? They were. When he first introduced his merchant shipping bill in 1871, um, the opposition came out of the woodwork and uh, it was clear that he wasn't going to have an easy ride. So what he did was turn to the nation for support. He wrote a book called Our Seamen, An Appeal, which was a sort of chronicle of all the abuses of the shipping industry and an analysis of the way shipping insurance worked and so on that allowed these um, nefarious practices to take place. Uh, 600,000 copies were distributed through trade unions. Um, the Times serialised a great deal of it. Um, and it, at that point, it, he became a sort of cause célèbre uh, in which the nation got behind him. Um, so uh, this did this and a great deal of campaigning around it, a lot of public meetings and so on, did lead to the establishment of a royal commission to look into shipping abuses, uh, which he was delighted about. But after a year, they didn't recommend a load line. So he was sort mm. of back to square one. Um, and... Uh, uh, so then, as I say, there was a build-up to this moment, this debacle in the, in the House of Commons, in which Plimsoll finally lost his temper because things had been deferred yet again. Um, after that scene in which, uh, you know, he, he called MPs um, uh, uh, villains who were colluding with the murderers outside the House, um, and he you know had to storm out of the house he was he was sent out of the chamber and so on that was that was huge news and on both sides of the atlantic actually all through europe even 
um, and uh, it led to demonstrations uh, in the streets um, and the squares of Britain and uh, Disraeli feared for his political future uh, but eventually um, a, a stopgap merchant shipping bill was introduced as a consequence of of this agitation. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't set a fixed load line. It allowed ship owners, this is partly because of an amendment in the House of Lords, but it allowed ship owners to put the load line where they wanted. And mm. one Cardiff ship owner, ca- captain, put it on the funnel of his ship as a a gesture of rebellion. So we didn't really secure anything. That, in fact, didn't happen till uh, till 1890 when uh, Joseph Chamberlain's son, uh, Joseph Chamberlain, son of Neville Chamberlain, um, uh, or rather, sorry, father of Neville Chamberlain, um, peace in our time, Chamberlain, um, he he, uh, was president of the Board of Trade and he introduced a fixed load line eventually. But this, by this point, Plimsoll was actually out of Parliament. He'd handed over his seat to William Harcourt, who was the Home Secretary, who'd lost his seat. Let's talk about the load line itself. Um, and can we just can you just describe it for people who've not who who can't yes. kind of see it in their mind's eye? It, well, it was two things really. It was a, a so-called ladder. Um, which was different levels uh, for different conditions, which were tropical fresh, fresh, summer, winter, and winter North Atlantic. Those were the the uh, distinctions on a sort of a ladder of steps of levels, which uh, which which showed the level the, of the the limit of maximum submergence basically on on the ship. So obviously tropical fresh was uh, deeper in the water than winter North Atlantic um, because, uh, you know, you had to adjust uh, according to conditions. Um, so so the, the theory there is winter North Atlantic, it's a bigger, lumpier sea. You need to have more of your vessel out of the water. You need more um, freeboard, exactly. Exactly. That makes me think that people have, whoever came up with that idea hasn't been in a storm in the Caribbean. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what, what a really weird name for it. Yes, uh, that is a, that is an issue actually. I'm sure that there are parts of the world with hurricanes where it's it uh, uh, it needs to be different. But that's that was the original ladder, and uh, with it was um, uh, the roundel, the the eye, the plimsoll mark, which was a circle with a line through the middle. Uh, that looks like the London Underground line mm. sign, and was in fact the inspiration of the London Underground sign, because Charles Pick, who designed it, uh, originally the sign was uh, places on the London Underground were a blob with a name through the middle. Pick, who did a redesign, um, extended that line through the middle so it looked like the Plimsoll mark, because by then. The whole Plimsoll campaign stood for safety and integrity and honesty and uh, and democracy. Um, and so to use the Plimsoll mark was to bring with it certain values that had been established by the by the campaign. Um, mm. So, yes, so that's what it was. It was uh, it was a mark on all ships. Uh, not in fact established internationally until about nine until astonishingly about the 1960s. I mean, they were. Uh, in the early 20th century, some some countries were still introducing a, a load line. Um, in the 1930s, there was quite a widespread agreement. Uh, I think that's when the Americans got involved. 
uh, originally it was a it was a line that specified that anybody any ship coming into a british port had to have a load line so that was a way of making it not just a british law but something that applied elsewhere but mm. there are still breaches today of the of load line regulations um, really? yes so you know it's it, it, because the same thing is true that if you can make more money by loading a bit deeper people are going to see if they can get away with the risk that hasn't changed Mm, that's very shocking, isn't it? I thought one really interesting thing is um, after Plimsoll's death, um, d- Lloyd George and the Board of Trade changed the rules. Yes, they, <laughs> yes, they, they raised the level of the line um, so that so that cargo vessels could increase their capacity by five percent. Like you could that properly turning in his grave, I should think. That's right, and they had to go around again with a bit of a campaign to try and. Uh, to try and remind everybody that what mattered. I mean, it was the the load line has had to be defended really ever since it was first established, and it has changed several times. And of course, s- s- developments in the nature of ships allow people to argue that a ship of a particular kind needs a load line at a different level. So these things are constantly revised, but uh, but you know they're still important, and we still hear stories of overloaded ships and where in which people you know people die. Certainly, mm. ferries. You hear stories of overloaded ferries, um, but I'm, but it's also true of of uh, other kinds of cargo. Yeah. And what's the link with shoes? People yes. might be thinking, ah, oh, plimsolls, plimsolls. What's going on there? Well, what's going on there is that at the height of his fame in 1876, after the Merchant Shipping Bill was introduced, um, a chap called Philip Lace, who was in shoes. I rather like the idea, Lace, who was in shoes. Um, uh, introduced um, to decided to name sand shoes, which had been introduced to walk on on the beach on bank holidays, which had also just been introduced, um, uh, to call them plimsolls because they were canvas above and rubber below, and so they could only safely be immersed in water up to a certain point, like a merchant ship. So it was a kind of pun that everybody would recognise, um, and uh, so. As it happened, Plimsoll had an office near Elephant and Castle that was just round the corner from a shoe shop, and there was a display of Plimsolls in the window, uh, you know, on sand, and he would pass it and enjoy it on his way into his office. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yes, there is a connection. Um, people are often astonished to find that there really is a link, but they were they were so named in 1876. Yeah, well, wonderful story. I mean, um, last question. I always like to ask any author this. Um, I'm always intrigued. Why, why did you write a book about Plimsoll? Yes, well, that's a very good question. And you'd think that it might be because, say, I had a PhD in maritime history. But I have to confess that it's because I lived in Plimsoll Road. <laughs> 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 Not oh, much good. of a qualification. That's why it's so obsessively researched, this book, because I had to, had to justify uh, doing it by being absolutely sure about what I was finding out. Um, yes, I, I moved into a house in Plimsoll Road. Um, there was a pub a few doors down from me with a pub sign on it that had a ship on it. Um, but stuck over the ship was a sort of Plimsoll or other something a bit more like a baseball boot. Um, and when the pub changed hands and the sign went, I had the sort of mad impulse in the night that I would quite like to see what was underneath the Plimsoll. And I went and bought the pub, which is the pub sign, which not the pub, that would have been expensive. The pub sign, which is in my back garden um, with the uh, with the, the the boot stripped off. And it had the the plimsoll ladder 
tropical fresh, fresh summer, winter, winter, North Atlantic, and Samuel Plimsoll's name and dates. And that's when I started to research it. I thought it might make an interesting article for a local paper. And it turned into such a huge story of the shipwrecks and the and the um, uh, political machinations and the and the national demonstrations and um, uh, I'm afraid it became a book quite a, quite a substantial book. <laughs> oh, it's a very good book. It's a very good book. But I think as a lesson there, isn't it? Um, or sort of the unexpected influence of maritime history in our in our environment in our surroundings if only yes. you know where to look indeed indeed he's commemorated in more places there are a lot of streets a lot of plimsoll roads uh, around the country in plimsoll streets and plimsoll ways so i'm quite lucky nobody had beaten me to it <laughs> well thank you very much for talking to me today nicola it was a great pleasure thank you very much sam Now, as a special edition, we also have a little song for you. This is a recording of one Bill Cameron singing the traditional song Here's Success to Mr Plimsoll, recorded back in 1956 in the Silly Isles. Now there's a location familiar with danger at sea. Oh, here's success to Mr Plimsoll A sailor's friend you all must know he proved that many of our ship owners, religious men professed to be, they go to church to pray for sailors whilst they have rotten ships at sea. Now they'll go and buy all worn out vessels and paint them up again as good as new, and they'll sell them for double of their value and sail them in another name. And when they get out upon the ocean, their timbers then to pieces fly, and they're left to the mercy of the waters, and that's why our British seamen die. Thank you all so much for listening. Now I need to, as is traditional, beg you all for help. Firstly, please tell everyone you know about this podcast. Secondly, please, if you are not already a member, join the Society for Nautical Research. You could do so at snr.org.uk. Your annual subscription will go towards paying for this podcast. It will help us continue to publish the Mariner's Mirror quarterly journal that we've been publishing for our members for over a century. And it will help us preserve our maritime past. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.